You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 16. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. If you're new to Westwind, we go through Bible studies. We go through books. So we're in the middle of Acts, and we really followed Luke, who uh, also wrote Acts. So we did uh, about a year and a half in Luke, and now we're in the middle of Acts. And what a beautiful journey with Luke and learning what God uh, has done in and through his church historically, but continues to do now. When I think of Ethiopia, I think of open doors and open hearts. When I think of Acts 16, you're going to see something beautiful. God opens doors. He opens hearts. He is an initiating God. We have this beautiful thought at Westwind Church. God is working, therefore. Therefore, stand in awe of his work. Therefore, participate in his work. Therefore, join him in the ministry journey. So I hope you have a connect card this morning. And I always like to start out with the blessing, really is the core uh, idea of this morning's talk. And the blessing is this, because God is working, we believe that. He is at work. He is a missionary God. How should we respond? Every Christian should anticipate his divine initiatives in our life. And so this morning, we're going to see three divine initiatives from these 15 verses and then really try to personalize them, really try to apply them in my life. Now, the cool thing about Ethiopia is, you know, an hour plus of worship, an hour plus of preaching. So what do you think we make just a decision this morning to adopt their model? And I'll go an hour and then Brett can come back for another half hour. Yeah, about two of you. Good. That's good. Brett said, yeah, count me in, right? No, it was super fun, folks, super fun. I told Brett, honestly, because we were there and we were participating, but you're not singing because it's in a different language, right? But you're still present. But a time, an hour of giving to God through song, worship, and prayer, wow. And then to get up and preach for another hour, it's a, it's a giving, and that's truly what worship is. The, the definition of worship is bowing down and kissing the hand of the king. That's what worship is. And so we'll, we'll stick to about 30, 35 minutes today. Is that good? And all God's people said? That's really good. All right. So good. So three divine initiatives. Let me give you the first one. God opens doors for team ministry and outreach. There is an absolute pattern in the book of Acts that I want you to think through. Ministry is always done in the context of team, plurality, us. It goes back to Jesus' prayer. Remember, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. The key to Christianity is community and what we're going to see all throughout Acts, but in particular here, team ministry. Now, let me connect the dots to Acts 15. Acts 15 is a transitional chapter. 
If you recall, uh, there was a conflict, tension, sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. One team goes off one way, Paul and Silas. Another team goes off another way, uh, Barnabas and Mark. What Luke does in Acts 16, he joins Paul's team. He doesn't highlight himself, but what you're going to see is plural. We did this, we did that, we traveled through here. So know this, starting now, Acts 16, Luke's part of the journey, part of the team ministry, and he has a first eye account on all that's happening. Remember we talked, we went through the Gospel of Luke? He was deliberate, intentional, relentless to make sure we had an accurate account of Jesus Christ. Same thing is happening in the first 25 years of the church history. Now we have an eyewitness account. And so let's look at the team ministry. And the other thing that's crucial about Acts 16 is now we're on the second missionary journey. So Acts 13 through 15, first missionary journey. This is missionary journey two, going off Luke, Silas, Paul, and then we add a team member. So stand with me, and let's read the first uh, five verses. And if you don't have a Bible, it's certainly on the screen. And so Luke writes, Then he, meaning Paul, went on to Derby and Lystra. Now let me ask you a question. Do you remember Lystra? Who can tell me one really difficult thing that happened in Lystra? Nobody, eh? Well, I'm not going forward until somebody tells me what the heck happened in Lystra. Anybody remember? Brett, you get a raise. <laughs> not saying when, but you know what I mean? I think, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And not only did he get stoned in Lystra, they dragged him out of the city. They thought he was dead. He then recovers. He goes back into the city on the first missionary journey. Guess what, folks? Here he is again going back to Lystra. You want to talk about relentless ministry. You want to talk about a guy who didn't really care for his life. All in, sacrificial. That's Paul. And why do I bring that up? It's very important because Timothy is going to adopt that kind of spirit. These early years of Christianity, there was a lot of persecution. In fact, Paul and Peter, we understand, were martyred in Rome under Nero. We're not too far out from that. Difficult days. And so, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. Remember, uh, John Mark, things didn't work out. He needed an assistant. He needed a team member. He needed help. So we took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. This is Acts 15, Jerusalem Council. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. I've highlighted throughout this study in Acts that Luke is a summary guy. There's another summary statement. Strengthening the church, the church is growing. Please be seated. And so in these first five verses, we're introduced to what I would call a major influencer in the faith. His name is Timothy. Now, for those of us who know the New Testament and the Bible, you know, no big deal. We, we get a little bit about Timothy. But Timothy's story is quite remarkable. But think it through for a moment. Paul's second missionary journey, 
John Mark didn't work out. Sharp disagreement. One team becomes two. And now he's showing up in Lystra, chooses a Timothy, about a 20-year-old young man. Huh. Interesting. Well, there's a few things that we're going to learn about Timothy. And so the question I ask is, why Timothy? Why would Paul identify a 20-year-old young man and say, I want you, Timothy, to be a part of this ministry team, and it's going to be difficult? You've already saw what happened in Lystra. So let me highlight what Luke highlights, four key portraits of Timothy. And boy, these are very applicable to us uh, this morning. So number one, Timothy's testimony. No doubt about it, Luke wants us to know, as we see in verse 1, there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. And so what's really cool about here is this guy is following Christ. Mom is a believer who's Jewish. So she heard the gospel, came to faith in Christ. However, dad is not. He's Greek. He's not in Christ. And so there is a blended family spiritually. There's a little bit of tug of war. One believing mom, one unbelieving dad. And now Timothy's joining the ministry journey. How interesting. But let me tell you a little bit more about Timothy that I think is remarkable. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. Second Timothy, Paul's final epistle, the first few verses, verses 4 and 5. Here's what Paul says about Timothy. He says, Timothy, I remember your tears. I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. And notice this next phrase. Clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Now, let me continue that journey. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Paul says to Timothy, You know those who taught you, and you know those, and you know from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So why do I highlight that? I don't believe Timothy came to faith in Christ through the first missionary journey. I think mom came to faith in Christ through the missionary journey. She was steeped, of course, in Judaism, but she's raising her son, Timothy, in the scriptures. And now we're talking Old Testament scriptures. Then uh, she comes to faith in Christ. The Old Testament scriptures are illuminated. She presents Jesus as Savior and Messiah to Timothy. He says, yes. Who's the other influencer in this home? It's grandma. Mom and grandma are tag teaming to raise the kids. And so parents, the application is so crucial to each and every one of us here this morning. The influence that we have on our children really matters. To raise them for the kingdom and glory of God, as Paul says in Ephesians, to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What a blessing. Never discount your influence in the home. We will do everything at Westwind Church to come alongside families. But the primary responsibility for raising our kids for Jesus begins where? In the home. Do you believe that? And that is a privilege. And I'll tell you one thing, having three young adult children, the raising continues. They're all out of the home, but the input, the influence is still there. And uh, 
I thank God for that. But let me also talk for a moment about children's ministry. Do you know how important children's ministry is? Do you know how many Timothys can come out of a children's ministry who come to know Jesus Christ early, say yes to the gospel and the biblical truths, and many of you, dozens of you, say yes to our children's ministry. You come alongside Chelsea Gasperi and team. We want to say thank you, Westwind. We know it's hard. You get here a little early, you're not in worship, but you're pouring yourselves out. But the investment is enormous. But let me add one more group here. It's the grandparents. I want you to think through, grandparents, your privilege day today. To come alongside your kids and your grandkids to influence them for the kingdom and glory of God. Do you realize today that over 6 million children are being raised by approximately 2.7, raising 2.7 million grandchildren? That's a huge influence. I've watched for over 20 years my dear mother-in-law, Ellen's mom, we call her Nani. She's a Polish lady, sweet as could be. And Nani has six children, and one of her daughters struggled in the marriage, and it uh, drifted many years ago. Three children. And I watched Nani's influence on her daughter and those three grandchildren. And we get to see them periodically. Guess what? All three kids, because of Nani's influence and mom's influence, are in Christ and growing. So I want to say to the three groups, parents, keep going. Keep doing your best to model Jesus. Children's workers, thank you. And when Chelsea calls you, pray through participating. And then grandparents, wow, would you agree? It's a privilege to influence your uh, grandchildren for the kingdom and glory of God. So that's Timothy's testimony. Let's keep going. Not only did Paul understand his testimony, he understood Timothy's character. Let's take a look. Look at verse 2. The brothers at Lystra and Iconian spoke highly of him. In other words, word on the street, you can trust Timothy. He's growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul, if you need a teammate, Timothy is one of those trusted guys, and yes, he's only 20 years old. But as Paul said later, don't let anyone look down on your youth, Timothy. You know, it was interesting today for those of you who are baseball fans. Yeah, I was a little bit more focused on the Bills, still in mourning. Did some counseling in Ethiopia um, on my way back. As much uh, uh, mourning took place, so I'm ready to go. But did you see what happened this past week to Barry Bonds? And I'm not trying to pick on anyone. That's not my style. But this is big news. Tenth round of being voted potentially in or out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. You know what happened? He got 65%, didn't get what he needed, 75%. This is the 10th time. No, we do not think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You know why, folks? One reason, performance-enhancing drugs. But then I also thought it was really remarkable how at least one sector of society, the Associated Press, responded. Here was an article I read, and the article was titled this, Dump the Character Standard for Baseball's Hall of Fame. And when you go on to read the article, you know what it says? This is just sports. Leave people alone. We're not calling people to step to the plate of saints. Who cares about their character? 
Who cares about if they gamble on baseball? If they take performance-enhancing drugs, if they lie, if they cheat, who cares if they have uh, drugs in them that help them outperform their teammates or other teams? I'll tell you who cares. We should all care. Because character matters. Character counts. You know what Paul does in his letter uh, to Timothy? In chapter 3, He gives beautiful quality characteristics of elders and deacons as we serve together for the kingdom and glory of God. Paul believed character mattered, and so should we. So Timothy had a testimony. He had godly character. Let's keep going. Timothy was also sacrificial. I want you to look at verse 3 because this is so important. Sometimes we skip over things. But check this out. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we've already learned from Acts 15 what? Christians are not required to be circumcised. So what's going on here? It's real simple. Paul's saying, Timothy, if you want to be the most effective in ministry, here's what you need to do. You need to appeal to the Jewish audience that we always start with. We always go to the synagogues. And so for them to embrace you, lean towards your mother's faith, Judaism, and get circumcised. And guess what? Timothy voluntarily said yes. Now, I don't want to go into all the details and get morbid here, but Isaac Norton's already smiling. He knows what I'm going to say next. What am I going to say, Isaac? Yes, yes, we won't go there. Now, here's the deal, folks. Timothy is an adult. He's 20 years oldish. They didn't have anesthesia as we know it today. And in the ancient world, this was tough stuff. So why do I say that? He's sacrificing. He's giving more. He's going above and beyond. Why? Because the gospel's worth it. And as I said before, I really believe he already got it from Paul. If Paul's preaching in Lystra, gets stoned, dragged out of the city dead, he comes back to the city twice, Timothy's like, that's my guy. If he can sacrifice to that level, count me in. Let me encourage you this morning, uh, Westwind Church. We had a cool thing happen this past week. A family stepped forward and gave uh, a significant amount of money, $800, to uh, what we're calling the chair fund. Were you with us last week? We talked too much about chairs, didn't we? How are you feeling right now in these great chairs? So we are praying because we want to be hospitable. We want to be welcoming. We never want someone to come to Westwood and think, don't they care? We do care. But yeah, it's stewarding. We're doing our best. So we have a fund right now. It's a chair fund. $800 was given. Talked to a few elders this morning. And we think as money comes in, we're just going to pull the trigger on some really good chairs. And you know what? Our seniors deserve them first. Would you agree? I'm in that group right now. Just kidding. You know pastors. They get to sit on the floor. But no, we want to honor people. And we had discussion about this at the elders meeting. One elder was like, gee whiz, you know, chairs? What's the priority? And then he recalibrated. Here's the priority. We had a gal last week at our vision luncheon say, I have uh, people coming, and they notice that the chairs are not as comfortable as they could be. We want to 
break down every barrier. We want to be as most welcoming and hospitable as possible. And so if God inspires that sacrifice, that generosity, we're going to pull the trigger and get some chairs. You happy for that? Six, seven, eight, nine. That's great. Even down front, Grayson. Way to go, me and Grayson again. All right, one final thing. Timothy's usefulness. And again, why Timothy? Paul saw a heart for the Lord. He knew his testimony. He saw his sacrifice. Timothy's ready to go all in. Let me show you a verse for usefulness. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, highlights Timothy. He says, this is why I sent Timothy to you. In other words, Timothy is my guy. He's useful. He's a representative. The kingdom of God is expanding. I need right people in right places for right reasons. Boom, I'm deploying Timothy to you, Corinthians. He is my dearly loved and, notice this, faithful son in the Lord. And this next phrase is pretty cool. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And so if you think, why Timothy? There's a lot of good reasons, folks. And what an encouragement. A divine initiative. Paul's back in Lystra for the third time. Timothy is profiled as a genuine disciple. Paul says, join me on this ministry journey. Timothy says yes. And fast forward, when Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, ready to be uh, martyred by Nero, his last letter goes to Timothy, his son in the faith. There's a leadership principle that is foundational and basic that I think Timothy embodies. And that leadership principle is this. Leadership comes to people. In other words, Timothy was identified as a godly man with a strong testimony. He's sacrificial. He's all in. He's committed. He's a man of integrity. He's got character. And guess what? Paul says, Tim, love you to be a part of the team. Last week, we talked again at our Vision Luncheon that we're launching our third leadership pipeline. And we said, some of you are going to get a tap on the shoulder. Why? Because elders, staff are just encouraged by what they see. We don't want to miss anyone. If any of you here this morning who call Westwind Church home want to join the Journey of Leadership Pipeline, you can. Why? Because we just develop leaders in the marriage, in the home, in the community, at work, but also in the church. But there are certain individuals who are ministry heads and moving toward uh, eldership and so forth that we really want to identify. We love what happened this past semester. Husbands and wives, individuals, it was such a joy. And so be thinking about that because we'll be launching our third leadership pipeline hopefully before the end of February. And so divine initiative number two, God sovereignly closes doors to direct kingdom work. And this is one of the beautiful uh, realities in the book of Acts. We're going to talk a little bit more. But track with me here, verses 6 through 10. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and notice this phrase, this is a gift from God, and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, and Bithynia is modern-day um, Istanbul, just to give you perspective. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So bypassing Mysia, they came down to a place called Troas. Let me show you a map, 
and hopefully you have study Bibles, hopefully you have resources, but I'd like for you to know where you are in time and space. Remember, we started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're moving west with the gospel. Troas today is on the west side of modern-day Turkey. They're traveling about 500 miles, maritime, to head to Philippi. There's about a 10-mile road that's still in existence today. It's called the Ignatian Way. You can walk that from that port city to the city of Philippi. But that's where we're going. That's where we are. So what happens in Troas, during the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and do what? Notice this next phrase, help us. We need help. We need spiritual direction. We are lost sheep. Come, they're pleading, help us, bring the good news, bring the gospel. After he had seen the vision, we, there's Luke writing, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia. And notice this next phrase, concluding that God has called us to evangelize them. Folks, this is divine intervention, would you agree? Paul's going to Bithynia, he's going to Mysia, he's got his roadmap, he is a moving evangelist. God closes one door, God closes the other door, and then he opens up a new door. But notice verses 6 and 7. Please don't miss this beautiful work of God in your life and mine. Prevented by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow. And then verse 10, as a result, they made a spiritual conclusion that we're supposed to go to Europe with the gospel. And folks, that's a radically different direction than moving north and east to modern-day Istanbul and Bithynia in the ancient world. You came in this morning. Did you get your cool little booklet? Take that out just for a moment. And Pastor Jason, thank you for creating this. Uh, takes a little bit of uh, uh, labor, but we felt it was worth putting it into print. So in my study this past week, uh, one of the commentaries, and I'm a commentary guy, not as the first thing you do, but you got to read some commentaries, learn from others, right? I need to be taught as we teach others. And so I saw this beautiful thing, 21 unique ways that God directed his people in the book of Acts. You want to have a fun Bible study someday? Just go through all of what God did uniquely for his people to advance his kingdom and glory. Starts with prayer. Acts 2, right? They're in a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit comes. He uses things like uh, conflict in the church in Acts 6. He uses divine appointments where angels show up. He uses divine revelation when the Bible gives direction. Uh, Pastor Jason talked on, taught on Acts 15 a few weeks ago. He uses counsel of the many as they work through issues in the church. Here in Acts 16, what does God do? He closes one door, closes another door with the goal of opening up a big door for the gospel to advance to Europe. I hope you love that, folks. That is such a beautiful picture of God's initiative, God's effort. You know what I think the book of Acts does? I think it fulfills a 3,000-year-old promise. Are you familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? One of the first passages of the Bible I ever learned as a new Christian. Track with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways. And what's going to happen? He 
will guide your paths. He will make your paths straight. Trust God. Lean into him. He wants you to go the way he would have you go. Macedonia, Europe, taking the gospel to Philippi. And so for application to kind of shrink um, what I really believe are some of the macro things we must learn from the book of Acts. Let me give you five things if you're taking notes. This is uh, really, I think, helpful. Number one, make sure your plans are in harmony with God's word. Whenever you're thinking, pursuing direction, pursuing God's will, make sure there's an alignment here. God's will will never contradict his word, Amen. It's just a gift. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I can't wait to get to Acts 17, where we see the Bereans who are more noble than others. Why? They search the scriptures daily. You search the scripture daily, you'll have direction for life. That's where it starts. Secondly, pursue prayer and advice. Folks, Acts 2 and Acts 13 are key, key chapters. 120 are praying, Holy Spirit comes, the church is launched. Acts 13, the Spirit said, in a prayer meeting, during worship and fasting, set apart for me two guys, Barnabas and Paul, for the work. That's beautiful. And then advice, we already talked about the Jerusalem Council. What a blessing it is to decide together. The third thing, do a heart check on motivation. Is it what I want or what God wants? And where do I get that from? Acts 5, there were some really confused motives. Ananias and Sapphira bring a beautiful gift, and yet it was for vainglory. Do a heart check. We did that at communion. Search my heart, oh God. Try my thoughts. Psalm 139, see if there's any wicked way in me. Fourth, pray to God for opening closed doors. I think that's a valid prayer. Lord, I'm thinking about going this way. Would you please close that door if you want me to go elsewhere? And then finally, pray to God. Trust God's timing is perfect. And why do I bring up that last point? You know what you're going to see in Acts 19 and beyond? Where they wanted to go, Bithynia and Mysia, they ultimately went. The seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are all in Asia Minor. The irony is Bithynia became the capital of Eastern Christianity, Constantinople. So it wasn't an issue of not going. The issue was timing. And I hope you believe with me that God's timing is always perfect. Now, finally, divine initiative number three, God sovereignly uses the spoken word to change hearts. Look at verses 11 and, uh, to 15. Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. Now again, let me show you a map just to keep you tracking where we're going. We are truly in Europe right now. We are in Greece, Philippi. It's a beautiful place. I'll close this morning with some really cool photos where they met Lydia. But continuing on, look what happens. Paul and his team. I love this. We sat down, spoke to the women gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was listening. And this is such a cool phrase, folks. The Lord opened her hearts to pay attention 
to what was spoken by Paul. There's three individuals in Acts 16 who are transformed for the kingdom and glory of God. Luke is intentional to highlight three. I'm going to talk about one today, two next week. So let's learn a little bit about Lydia. Who is she? Lydia is a cosmopolitan woman. She's not from Philippi. Luke gives us the detail. She is from Thyatira. She is a businesswoman coming from modern-day Turkey, traveling 500 miles to do one thing, sell purple garments. In the ancient world, purple garments were very expensive. We know that. We have a lot of detail on it. Therefore, we believe Lydia was an affluent, wealthy businessman. But you, you know what's the most important uh, detail in this passage? Not that she was a businesswoman, not that she traveled, not that she uh, had a lot going for her. The number one thing is she was a worshiper of God. So she's down by the river. She's praying. She is a God-fearer. We've talked about God-fearers. God-fearers are Gentiles who were done with the Greek philosophy, paganism, polytheism, the ways of this world that were empty and dead. God-fearers were people who said, I'm aligning myself with Yahweh and the God of the Old Testament. And so now she's at a prayer meeting by the river in Philippi. And what does God do? God initiates a divine appointment, brings Paul and team to minister the gospel. Now, I want to highlight a few things uh, that are going on here. Notice Paul's style. If you're like me, sometimes I read the Apostle Paul, I see kind of a bull in a china shop. He's a hard charger. He's just taking the next hill. Let's keep going. But notice what the passage says. Luke says, they sat down and began having conversation. I see this as dialogical, building relationships, getting to know these gals, their backstory. You're here for prayer. How did you make it out of paganism and polytheism, the empty ways of this world, into Judaism? So they got to know them. They got to know their story. And then they shared the good news. Notice a beautiful statement in verse 4. The Lord opened her heart, and this is a key phrase, folks, to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. That's an amazing thought, that some of our hearts right now are open to the word because the Spirit is opening your hearts. Sometimes we have hard hearts, we have callous hearts, and you know what the Bible says at times? That God will even harden our hearts a little bit more if we keep resisting him. Here's Lydia, a God-fearer, praying, worshiping. Her heart is open. And then all of a sudden, the Lord opened her heart more to what? What was being spoken. And so this phrase, to pay attention to, could really be translated to be attracted to. And the question I had asked myself was, what would be attractive to what Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy had to say to her? I think the answer is real simple. They preach Christ and him crucified. Grace and truth about Jesus Christ. And so they presented the gospel, it's good news. God worked in her heart. She opened her lives to the truth of the gospel and moved forward as a genuine believer. Let me show you the conclusion here. Verse 15. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she persuaded us. 
How do we know we were, she was transformed? Number one, first thing that happened, obedience of faith, she was baptized. This is the great commission. Go into all the world and baptize them. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what does she do? She opens up her home. She practices hospitality. She's going in with her time, treasure, talent, and touch. She's being generous with her life. Let me take you to Philippi because I got three photos here. If you go there today, here's what you would see. This is the very spot that is commemorated to where Lydia came to genuine faith in Christ. It's a church. Let me take you inside the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, This is Paul and Lydia, stained glass windows. I love that kind of stuff. Beautiful representation that this is where uh, this great event in Acts 16 took place. And then the final one. And this one jazzes me. This is the river where the ladies were praying, and Paul met them, sat down, had conversation, built relationships, shared the good news. Check out the baptistry. So they rerouted the river, created the baptistry, and the ancient baptistries were always in the sign of a cross. And so it's a beautiful thing. And so what happened to Lydia? It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is passing away, the new has come. The church in Philippi became a monumental work in that region for the kingdom and glory of God. We have this beautiful letter, the the epistle to the Philippians, which is a letter filled with joy. And so we close with a few questions. Question number one. Is God working in your heart today to be like Timothy? Do you have a testimony in Christ, meaning you know him personally? Is your character reflecting his character? Are you living sacrificially? Are there people tapping on your shoulder and saying, hey, love for you to help out in the children's ministry, the youth ministry. Love for you to take leadership pipeline. Folks, leadership comes to us. That is the picture. Now, we have a lot of needs at Westwind Church, and sometimes we just say, you know what? We need people to help us keep this building maintained and clean. Would you join the journey? Yes, and sign up, and we all do it together. But there are other times where it's very specific. Paul needed Timothy, and Timothy was the guy, and he joined the journey all the way to the end, as his second letter to Timothy illustrates. Secondly, what about closed doors and open doors? Has God closed a door in your life and as a result opened a new door? When we came to Westwind four years ago, Ellen and I were very committed to India, and we still are, and we do various things with India, but the doors closed for us to go there physically. It's just how it is because of COVID and other reasons. And then in the midst of some of the things that were uh, transpiring there, a door opened widely to go to Africa. Right now, when you think of missions, the number one continent on the planet that's open to the gospel is Africa. That's a fact. You can go, you can serve, and you can be a blessing. I'm going to plant a seed this morning, and the elders uh, are, are supportive of this. Um, Ethiopia is a wide open door. One of the things I talk to the men about is what about the women? Who's training the women? And I learned some things. I can't go into all the details, but I know this absolutely. The women are ready to be equipped for the kingdom and glory of God. All they want is some gals to come who are more mature. The first thing that you would do is teach them how to study the Bible, uh, grow in grace, teach them about ministry, and they are hungry, ready to go. 
So that's a personal and corporate closed door, open door. And I hope maybe a seed gets planted and God waters that seed. And some of you say, I'd like to talk more about going to a place like that to equip the saints. And then finally, how's your heart this morning? And I think you can evaluate because the past 45 minutes, you had the opportunity to receive the word of God. Is your heart open? Is your heart teachable? And I'm not trying to be critical this morning, folks, but it's very clear that the Bible says God opened Lydia's heart to do what? To listen to what Paul was teaching. Luke brought us there many times. Ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to respond. Is your heart open to the word of God this morning? Is it like Lydia? Is God opening your heart? And I pray with all my heart if it's not. Address why there's barriers. Is it sin? What separates you from hearing, receiving, experiencing, and living out the truth of the gospel? Nothing separated from Lydia. Her heart was open. She got baptized. She became hospitable. And the church in Philippi was born in her house. What a cool thing. So let's stand. Let's close in prayer. And I don't know how long I preached, but it certainly wasn't an hour. And all God's people said, we're thankful. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful, beautiful passage on your work, your kingdom coming. Thank you, Father, that you initiate by your spirit Thank you, Father, for the creative ways that you guide and direct your people. And Father, we stand in awe that you would choose us, clay pots like Timothy, broken but redeemed, who have character of Christ, who are sacrificial, who want to go all in. So thank you, Father, for the privilege to serve you like that. And Father, we know uh, there's a range of hearts here this morning. And so we pray in Jesus' name by your spirit that you would open our hearts to you, to your word, to hear well, to process in our heart, and to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So thank you for the privilege to celebrate this most holy faith through worship, through communion, and through the word. We consecrate ourselves to you this day, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.